Do you remember that part in the New Testament where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said, if you don't like anything that I'm teaching or that the apostles teach, just get together, get a majority vote, and then you can just overturn my teaching, right? Just review it, vote it, majority vote, overturn it. Do you remember that part in the Bible? I don't don't remember that part in the Bible, but apparently the German Catholic bishops have justified their recent statement decree from their synodal way, their synodal path, stating, and I quote, Same-sex sexuality also realized in sexual acts is thus not a sin that separates from God and it is not to be judged as intrinsically evil, end quote. So this was determined at the fourth assembly of the German Synodal Way with a large majority of lay people, clergy, bishops voting to approve the text. Now it got a little controversial because Originally, there was a secret ballot, and there was a block of conservative German bishops who were trying to prevent this new official decree by the German bishops and laity saying that homosexual acts, even realized, are not sinful and are not intrinsically disordered, which is against some scripture we're going to look at today, and the most recent version of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, so a complete reversal of what was said. Welcome to the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast. We're going to talk about Catholic theology, Catholic morality. It goes without saying, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ wants every single human person from Adam and Eve all the way to the very last baby born, saved, redeemed, in heaven, Jesus died on the cross to save every single person, no matter how wicked, no matter how poriform many their sins are, whether they're sexual sins, whether they're non-sexual sins, he died for all of our sins. So this is not a phobic video. It's not an anger video. It's not a judgmental video. It's a video looking at the traditional received doctrine and morality of the last, you could say, 2,000 years of Christendom, Catholicism, but going back even further into the Old Testament. So I'm going to be looking at the passage in 1 Corinthians, also in Romans, describing homosexuality. We're going to look at the Apocalypse, Book of Revelation, as it relates to homosexuality. And then just this whole idea of synodal overturns, this idea that Pope Francis has where we can revise and remix and vote and change Catholicism, change dogma, change morality. So that's today's show. If you're excited, if you're on board, First thing you want to do right now is get those likes up. There's 600 of you here. Only 100 of you have given a thumbs up. So let's just pause for a moment. Give this video a like. Right now, let's get some more people on here. 
So hit the share button and share this video on Twitter or Facebook. Let's get your friends in here talking about a very important subject. And then if you're new, uh, again, I'm Taylor Marshall. I talk about Catholicism, talk about scripture, philosophy, politics. So if you're into that kind of thing and you want good commentary, good discussions, this is a place for you. Hit the subscribe button right over here in the bottom right corner and the bell to be notified. All right. As we do, we will begin with a prayer. I invite you to pray with me. We will pray the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father in Latin. Oremus nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater noster, qui es in celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum. Fiat voluntas tua, secut in cello et in terra. Panum nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, se libera nos amalo. Amen. St. Peter Damien, pray for us. St. John the Beloved Apostle, pray for us. Our Lady of Fair Love, pray for us. St. Joseph, Patron of Chastity, pray for us. Nomine Patris et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right. Well, let's get started. I before I begin, I just want to give a special shout out and a thanks to all the good Catholics that I met in San Diego over the weekend, in particular at St. Anne's Catholic Church, a parish of the Paternity of St. Peter. Lots of hospitality, lots of kindness, and a big thank you to all of you out there in Southern California. All right, as I said in the beginning, we got a situation in Germany. The synod of synodality. As you know, Pope Francis is pushing this idea where we need to get everybody together, not just Catholics, anybody. Get your favorite Wiccan friend, your Muslim friend, your Hindu, your Jewish friend, your Protestant. You know, let's get some Methodists, some Anglicans. If we're in Germany, you got to throw in a bunch of Lutherans. Let's all dialogue. Let's have a synod. Let's talk about what we think the Catholic Church should look like, what she should be teaching and saying. Everybody gets an input. Now, if you're a traditional Roman Catholic like me, Taylor Marshall, you don't get any input. Ain't nobody want to hear about people who think Pope St. Pius X was a great pope, that they want the pre-55 Holy Week, they want the Dies Irae chanted at their Requiem Mass. Nobody wants to hear from us people. But anyone else, y'all get this input. We get together. We vote. We remix dogma, doctrine, morality. And then all this stuff's going to be put together in a big brief and sent to Rome to Pope Francis. And he's going to say, well, this is what the people want. Give the people what they want. Here is the statement that was approved by the majority of lay people and bishops demanding the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church change her divine teaching on sex. The gift, the creation that the Holy Trinity made so that a man and a woman could enter into the bond of holy matrimony 
and procreate children. Remember that? Genesis. Adam and Eve. Now you can use those sexual organs in a way to pleasure yourself with really anybody without marriage, without matrimony, without the openness to procreate the babies. And they're demanding that that sexual lifestyle, we could call it sexual chaos because there's no rules, no order. They demand that be okay. Here's the statement. That received the majority vote, including the bishops. Here it is. Quote. I'm going to put it on the screen. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. I know some of you are visual learners, and that's just what we do here at the Dr. Taylor Marshall Podcast. I'm going to hook you all up. Boom goes dynamite. Let's make it a little bigger for you. Uh-oh. That's a problem. I can't make it bigger. All right. Well, you guys get the point. Maybe if I do this, boom. Boom. There it is. All right. Same. This is the approved demand of the German Senate. Same-sex sexuality also realized in sexual acts is thus not a sin that separates us from God, and it is not to be judged as intrinsically evil, end quote. The men in Germany who claim to be successors of the twelve Holy Apostles, we're going to read some of what the Holy Apostles said in the New Testament. These men are saying light is darkness, darkness is light, black is white, white is black. They're saying that the catechism of the Catholic Church is fallible, should be revised. You know, Francis just revised the catechism on the death penalty. Why not just keep kicking the can down the road? You guys hear me talk about how it is perfectly Catholic to say that the death penalty can be used justly. This has been the teaching, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, and all throughout Catholic history until the 1960s, when all of a sudden it was remixed. People say, yeah, but JP too, John Paul too. Look, you can love John Paul too all you want, but he can't change Catholic morality and doctrine. As soon as you check that box and say, well, JP too can do it, you can do Pope Francis can do it. Or Pope Francis II, or Pope Francis III, or however many we're going to get in the next few decades. You see, the Pope is a steward. He's not the king. He's the steward of the king. Jesus is the king of kings, and he has gifted the church the office of a prime minister, of a steward who has the keys of the king who can bind and loose on earth for it to be in heaven. Matthew 16, 18. That's what we Catholics believe. That doesn't mean that the Pope, the chief steward, can say, I know Jesus Christ, my king and your king, said X, but I'm all telling you not X. He doesn't have the authority to contradict the king. 
That's not how monarchy works. No subject, including the royal steward, the prime minister, the pope, the vicar of the king, vicar of Christ, he cannot contradict his superior. That's Catholicism 101. You can't do it. Now, the German Synodal Way had 71% voting in favor of the text that you see on the screen right now. There was a bit of a shakedown because originally the voting was, was uh, secret, anonymous. I'm going to read you a report from LifeSite News on the process and how it went down. You can read this yourself at lifesightnews.com. It says, On the first day of the assembly, the progressive forces, keen on changing church teaching, suffered a setback as a key document was unexpectedly rejected by a significant uh, blocking minority of bishops. And there was actually an interesting video that was going around on social media of these people having a meltdown. These 21 German bishops had voted in secret ballot against a document that aimed at changing the church's moral teaching on homosexuality, contraception, and gender identity. All right, so 21 bishops in secret, in a secret ballot, were blocking it. What happened next? Following their disappointment, the progressives dominating the German synodal path were shocked and spoke of disaster and treason. Now, I want to pause here. Y'all are trying to change the 2,000-year teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. Y'all are changing it. And when you don't get your way the first round, you speak of treason. Who, respectfully, who is committing treason? I've used this analogy before. I'll use it again. Let's say that you are a Muslim. You're a Mohammedan. You follow the prophet Muhammad. You believe that Muhammad has infallibly delivered to the world through the Quran the true teaching about his God, Allah. One of those teachings of Muhammad about Allah is that drinking alcohol is always bad and always sinful. You can't pop open a Miller Genuine draft on a hot day after mowing the lawn as a Muslim and kick back and chill as you can as a Catholic. You cannot pop a bottle of champagne on your anniversary if you're a Muslim. Not allowed according to the religion. What if you go to your mosque and your imam and your Muslim community say, you know what? It's just, I was born this way. I was born loving single malt scotch. I didn't choose it. I just love it. In fact, I drink single malt scotch every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night of the week. And I love it. And it makes me closer to Allah. The imam and the, your fellow Muslims are going to be saying, no, no, you can't drink single malt scotch whiskey, Abib. Well, why not? Muhammad said you can't. That's our religion. 
well, why are you judging me for drinking scotch? Well, we're judging you because our religion says you can't drink alcohol and you're trying to make our religion have alcohol. And Abib says, well, yeah, I want to actually start drinking scotch on the campus of the mosque. That's my right. Look, they're all going to cast Abib out of the mosque. He is violating the teachings of their religion. And yet, somehow in Catholicism, we've got all these people, like James Martin, a bunch of Karens and Susan on the parish council, they're coming to this religion and they're saying, we feel that Catholicism should change and conform to what we want. And when people say, well, no, that's not really what Catholicism teaches. You know, if you want to go and be a Unitarian Universalist, you want to be a Wiccan, you can be a Church of Satan. They do all that. But in our religion, that's not what we do. They have a hissy fit and accuse us of treason. Going back to what's going down in Germany. They complained that some bishops were secret blockers who did not say openly what they think. Now, this is interesting because it shows some of these bishops are afraid. Then what happens? Following the result of this vote, the head of the German Bishops Conference, Bishop Georg Weitzing, attempted to put pressure on the dissenting secret blockers by removing the secret ballot and replacing it with a show of hands. So they said, if you're going to be anti-changing the doctrine, we're going to expose you to the public. And it worked. This may explain why, despite the initial reluctance to demand a change to church teaching, a majority of the blockers ceased to resist. Once a yellow-bellied, cowardly, effeminate, fearful bishops could hold the line when it was an anonymous secret ballot, but when it came to the public where you had to put your hands up for Jesus, a public testimony, no threat of martyrdom, no threat of getting your sword slit, like we saw a few years back over in Egypt with the Coptics, none of that, just to be embarrassed and shamed by the German community. They lost their resistance, and the vote went through. Now, who voted? in the good way. All these German, there's eight bishops, eight, count them on two hands, who voted against the document. They were Cardinal Velke, bishops Gregor Maria Hanka, I'm going to mess up all these names, uh, forgive me. Bishops who abstained are Stefan Berger, Josef Graf, Wolfgang Ippelt, Bertram Meyer, Ansgar Puff, Josef Graf, he's on there twice, Nicholas Schwertfeger, Rupert Stolberg, and Stefan Zekorn. But the resistance fell apart. 
when they actually had to put their hand up for what they believe. And I fear, you know, over here in America too, there's sort of this, well, my bishop's pro-life, so he's conservative. Mm. That's bare minimum. What about standing up for the truth? What about standing up for chastity, for purity, for traditional marriage, for the sacraments, for parents and parental rights? How many bishops, how many priests, and I'm going to say it, how many laity, looking at all y'all out here, stand up and put your name and your face and your reputation in line with the teachings of Jesus that will get you canceled and get you in trouble. Now, what's the church really teach about all this? I'm going to read you. As you know, I'm not a huge fan of the new 1990s Catechism of the Catholic Church. I tell everybody to use the traditional Roman Catechism of the Council of Trent. Here it is. And if you'd like to know the books that I recommend for you to get on track and on point with traditional Catholicism, Google these words, my name, Taylor Marshall, Happy Meal. You'll say, why'd you say Happy Meal? Because this is the Happy Meal that your soul needs. And I have a li list of Bibles, books, catechisms to get you started. And there's just links. Taylor Marshall, Happy Meal. Look at some of those books. They're not my books, right? These are books like these. But here's what the catechism, the 1990s catechism says. Paragraph 2357. Basing itself on sacred scripture, which presents homosexual acts as acts of grave depravity, and it cites four biblical passages, tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered, quoting the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, Persona Humana, number eight. They are contrary to the natural law. They close the sexual act to the gift of life. They do not proceed from a genuine, effective, and sexual complementarity. Under no circumstances can they be approved, end quote. And yet, the synodal path wants to say instead, and here's their quote, are you ready? This is the German Synod Pope uh, quote. In the course of this reassessment of homosexuality, among other things, the passages in the Catechism 2357 to 2359 and 2396 concerning homosexuality and chastity of the Universal Catechism should be revised. Likewise, the corresponding passages in the Catechism Compendium 2005, number 492, should be amended. In the compendium, homosexual acts need to be removed from the list of principal sins against chastity, end quote. So the German Synod is saying, 
Y'all got to go back into your catechism and into your compendium of the catechism and amend, revise, and delete the references to homosexuality. This is their demand. What will Pope Francis say about this? Now, I want to look at some of the biblical verses which were just cited by the catechism. And I'm going to focus on Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Apocalypse. I could go back and talk about Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. But I'm going to go to the ones that I think maybe you haven't heard before. Everybody's kind of heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And to do so, I'm going to read from one of my older books. This is a book that was published maybe 10 years ago, and it's called The Catholic Perspective on Paul. You can see it right here. I'm reading here from page 177, and it's an analysis of the Greek words used by Paul for homosexuals, because you'll hear a lot of people say, and I think some of them are actually in good faith, they'll say, well, the Bible doesn't talk about homosexuality, gay, lesbian, and so um, there is no official teaching in the Bible. And one of the problems, and I think this is why some people are in good faith, one of the problems is that many modern Bible translations actually omit these words. That's correct. Like the New Revised Standard Version, maybe the newest version of the RSV, and then other Protestant versions um, have them omitted or dumbed down or changed into words that maybe a modern person would not associate with sexual sins or homosexuality. And that's really part of the problem. And that's one reason why I'm constantly encouraging you, if you're a Catholic, or even if you're not a Catholic, to use the Dewey Rames translation of the English Bible. All right, because a lot of this linguistic slippage doesn't slip and slide in the Dewey Rames. Dewey Rames is not perfect on every single thing. In fact, uh, in my own writings, I usually use the Dewey Rames, but sometimes if it's not quite right, I'll put a footnote. But it's the best. It really is the best. So I'm reading here from my book, Catholic Perspective on Paul. Uh, what is it? It's a book showing that St. Paul was thoroughly Catholic. I show how Paul taught every major Catholic doctrine, all seven sacraments, celibacy, confession to a priest, calling men father, celibacy, all of it. Paul taught all of it. Prayers for the dead. And it's a powerful book if you know Protestants who think Paul was Catholic or Paul was Lutheran. Get them this book. All right. This book was published in 2010, so it's 12 years old, but it's an oldie but a goodie. All right, here we go. Page 177. St. Paul also explains that practicing homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm going to read from 1st King of uh, 1st Chronicle of uh, 1st Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 9. St. Paul says, quote, "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, 
nor revilers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God, end quote. Now, before I proceed, just so people think this isn't a show that's just beating up on the LMNOP LGBT community, I'm just going to state here what Paul states, and that is, if you're a drunkard, if you, if you get drunk on alcohol, you do not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are an adulterer, it says here, you do not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're an idolater, if you worship Shiva, uh, Zeus, Hera, idols of pagan gods, Pachamama, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're a thief, it says here, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so we're not just beating up on a certain group. But in this list, given by Paul, is effeminates will not inherit the kingdom of God and homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the word effeminates and homosexual in the Greek, we're going to look at those in a moment, are, are the two words sometimes omitted in Bible translations. Sometimes those two words are replaced simply by the word pervert. But yes, while pervert is related to it, it's not the actual Greek term. Um, and I mentioned here once when I was uh, in Fort Worth, Texas at a Whataburger, got into a conversation with some random person there, and they just said, well, homosexuality is not in the Bible, and we went round and round and round, and I tried to explain to him, but this person had seen a Bible that didn't have it in there. All right, and so there's, I think there are people who actually believe that, but as you're going to see here, the two Greek words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 are malakoi and arsenikoitai. Do you know what those words mean? Probably not, let me tell you. Let's start with malakoi. Malakoi means softness. It means soft ones. And it is used in the Greek vocabulary to refer to masturbation, but also to the... I know this is a family show, so I'm going to be super careful with this. The passive receiving person in a homosexual situation. All right, y'all got that? I don't want to be too, too much more... Explicit, for example, Josephus, who's the famous Jewish historian about the fall of the uh, Jerusalem and the temple in around the year 70 AD, he identifies with this word, he uses this Greek word, soft one, to describe men who committed homosexual acts, but as the passive receiver and as those who dressed in women's clothes, and as those who castrated and removed their male genitals. Okay, so when we're talking about homosexuality, cross-dressing as a woman, and actually cutting off your genitals, which, you know, this whole trans thing is not new. It goes back. This is 2,000 years ago. So in this context, Josephus is using this word that St. Paul uses at the same time, you know, within a decade or two of each other, and that's what this word malakoi means. 
All right. And also St. Thomas Aquinas uses the term softness to describe um, masturbation and other perverted sexual practices. Okay. Now the other word used by St. Paul is even more explicit. Okay. So this word is arsenicoitai, and it's made of two words. Again, this is all in my book, Catholic Perspective on Paul, page 177, with footnotes and info like that. Instead of doing the research all over again, I just read my own book. Okay, this word is a compound of two words. The first word is arsen, A-R-S-E-N, if you wanted to use English letters. And it literally means male. You got male and female. Okay, so the first word, it's a compound word. Arson means male. And then koitai means, well, it's plural, but means bed and specifically the marriage bed. And etymologically, it's related to the Latin word coitus, which is the Latin word for sexual intercourse. So Paul is literally using a Greek word, a compound word with arson, meaning male or men, and then koitos, meaning bed. This is like in my big fat Greek wedding. Give me any word and I will show you how this word is a Greek word. That's what we're doing right now. This Greek word is literally, if you took the two meanings from the Greek dictionary, it means male in bed, males in bed particularly marriage bed, sexual bed. Okay, so Paul, uh, St. Paul is using an explicit word here for homosexuality. Literally, male, males in bed. By the way, the Septuagint version of Leviticus 20.13, which condemns uh, homosexual practice, also uses the word arsenokoitai. All right? So it's very clear that St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, is referring to the malakoi, which is the passive effeminate. It's translated usually as effeminate. The passive effeminate partner in a homosexual act also associated with Josephus, with cross-dressers, men dressing as women, and also cutting off their male genitals. Can't make a D's, note, D's jokes right here. And then the second word, arsenokotai, literally meaning males in bed. So, is it condemned in Scripture? Yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All right. Let's look at Romans now. Romans chapter 1 is St. Paul defining the sinfulness of all humanity. Not just the Jew, but also the Gentile. He's saying, look, Jews have the law of Moses, even they sin. And the Gentiles who don't have the law of Moses, they have natural law, they also sin. So who's going to save the Jews and the Gentiles? Paul's answer in Romans, as he gets to chapter 5 and chapter 6, the Lord Jesus Christ. Before he gets there, though, he establishes the sinfulness of all humans. And in Romans chapter 1, he describes male gayness and female lesbianism. 
A lot of people are surprised when they find out that, yes, the New Testament explicitly discusses uh, female lesbianism. Explicitly. If you want to follow along with me, and also, of course, it's in my book, Catholic Perspective on Paul. Uh, I'm in Romans chapter 1. And we're going to start here with... I'm going to read a lot here because I know my audience is high information and you are high quality listeners and you want to get the fullness of Catholic theology. And I could dumb it down and shorten it, but I think and I know that y'all are smart and y'all are with it. So we're going to do the big argument, the big thesis of St. Paul in Romans chapter one. So Paul is saying, look, the existence of God and that he is good is manifest every time you look out and experience creation, you know there is a creator. This is like St. Thomas Aquinas in the five ways. You look at creation, and if you're rational, you can easily intuit there is a creator. If you see a watch, you know there's a watchmaker. All right, that's the argument. So he says in verse 19, because that which is known of God is manifest in them, for God has manifested it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, his eternal power also and divinity, so that they are inexcusable. Time out. You ever heard the argument, well, what about people who never heard about God, never had a missionary? Paul says, not one person has an excuse. Why? Because God's eternal power, his existence, his divinity is manifested to every single person. And he says, quote, so they are inexcusable. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they have not glorified him as God or given thanks but became vain in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. For professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed, get ready for it, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the likeness of the image of corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed beasts, and of creeping things. What is Paul saying here? My super smart, high, intelligent, audience. He's saying every single human from Adam and Eve until today, when they look at creation, you don't have to look at the Grand Canyon. You can look at a bluebird out your window, a blade of grass, the eyeballs of your mother, anything of complexity or even simplicity in all of nature, the clouds, the sun, the moon, everything. And from that, you know there is a God, you know his eternal power, you know his divinity, and you know that he rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. This is what you call, in philosophy, natural philosophy. It's what you know about God without a Bible, without a preacher, and without a sacrament. It's just the bare-bones facts of a creator and a creation. And he said what happened is, is people... Although they recognized that there was one God and all of his divinity and power, they suppressed that knowledge. And Paul says, 
they corrupted the idea of God into the image of corruptible man, birds, four-footed, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. What did the Egyptians do? They made a jackal head guy. They made an owl head guy. I got visitors in here. Oh my goodness. Hey, y'all want to say hi to everybody? Y'all let the dogs in. Show the dogs. Hello. <laughs> There's Daisy. Oh my goodness. And there's Duke. Hey, buddy. All right. I'm in a live video right now. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. My camera's out of focus. There it is. It's got to find my eyes. Okay. What was I saying? What was I talking about just now? Oh. Humans, although they know there's one true God and they should follow the natural law, what do they do instead? They take the idea of God and they corrupt it and they turn it into idols of men, birds, beasts, and creeping things. So the Egyptians got jackal head God, owl head God. The Hindus got elephant head God. They got multi-arm God. Um, the Greeks were a little more sophisticated. What they did is they just said like, Man, we should just make like the ultimate Giga Chad and we'll call him Zeus and that'll be our God. But what they're doing is, is they're just taking things inside creation and ascribing divinity to them. And it's bogus. It's idolatry. It's fake. Verse 24, what does Paul say about that? Therefore, God gave them up to the desires of their heart unto uncleanness to dishonor their own bodies among themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. So Paul says, because they turned away from the one true God, which they know in their head and started worshiping idols, God gave them over to dishonor their own bodies. This is why when you look at pagan culture in this year, or you look at pagan culture in the New World or pagan culture with the Druids or with the Goths or with the Punic people in North Africa or the pagan people in India or the pagan people in China, uh, totemism and pagan people in Africa, wherever you go before there was the truth. There's idolatry and there is dishonor and defiling of the body, disrespect for the body. And as people run away from Jesus Christ and the truth, more and more we see our culture what? Defiling the body. Paul talks about it right here in Romans 1. I'm giving you all the long argument, but I know you're good for it. Verse 26, For this cause God delivered them up to shameful affections. Ready? Here comes lesbianism. God delivered them to shameful affections for their women have changed the natural use into that use which is against nature. And in like manner, the men also, leaving the natural use of women, have burned in their lusts one towards another, men with men working that which is filthy and receiving in themselves the recompense which was due to their error. 
and as they liked not to have God in their knowledge, God delivered them up to a reprobate sense to do things which are not convenient, being filled with all iniquity, malice, fornication, avarice, wickedness, full of envy, murder, contention, deceit, malignity, whisperers, detractors, hateful to God, contemulous, proud, haughty, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, foolish, dissolute, without affection, without fidelity, without mercy, who having known the justice of God did not understand that those who do such things are worthy of death. And not only them that do them, but they also that consent to them that do them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Romans chapter 1. So basically Paul is saying, not basically, he is saying, all humans know God. All humans are called to serve God. When they refuse and they worship humans, idols, animals, whatever it is, God gives them up to their own devices, their own sinful ways, and they begin to corrupt their own bodies. Women with women and men with men, he says. Right there in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to do one more verse. And this is one that I recently discovered as I was working on my new book. My latest new book, which is complete. We're just finishing up the finest details. I'm hoping it's going to be available a week or so from now. The launch team, y'all received your emails today, so look for those. The name of the book is Antichrist and Apocalypse. And towards the very end of the apocalypse, there's also a reference to homosexuality that a lot of people are not aware of. And uh, let me pull it up real quick. It is, it's detailed in the book, so when you get the book, you can read all about it. But it's Apocalypse chapter 22, verse 15. It's also talking about what St. Paul talked about, which is those who receive and do not receive the kingdom of God. Uh, St. John says in verse 14, Blessed are they that wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb, that they might have a right to the tree of life and may enter in by the gates into the city. So what is, what is John talking about here? Those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb are those who are baptized. Those who repent of their sins and are washed by the blood of Jesus. And they have a right to enter into the gates of the city. What's the gates of the city? We're talking about the gates to heaven. And here on earth, the way you participate in that is by joining the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That's how you get in. How do you get in? Baptism. Baptism, washing your robes in the blood of the Lamb and baptism is how you get your ticket inside. Baptism is the means. This is why Jesus says, unless you are born of water and the Holy Ghost, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. John chapter 3. The, ver the next verse, verse 15, John says, outside are dogs, sorcerers, unchaste, murderers, servers of idols, and everyone that loveth and maketh a lie. End quote. Hey, 
See, I'm talking about dogs, and that's why the dogs are in here. No offense to you, dogs. Hey, y'all go downstairs. I seriously did not intend this to queue up to have dogs while I talk about dogs. But in verse 15, the very first sin in the list of sins is the sin dogs. I mean, is dogs a sin? So I'm writing this book, Antichrist and the Apocalypse. I'm going through every verse and I'm like, I think I know what that means. But I need to make sure. So I read a bunch of commentaries on this verse. How can the word dogs be a sin? How can you dogs be a sin, Duke? Come here, Duke. Come here. Come here, Daisy. You're the good girl. Come here, baby. Look how cute she is. Daisy. Are you a sin? No. Dogs are not sins. Even though uh, Apocalypse 22 verse 15 says that dogs is a sin and you can't get into heaven. What does that mean? What does dogs mean? Hmm? All right, you go, you're going to get down. Dogs in Israelite culture, in Hebrew, refers to homosexuality. This is why dogs is listed as one of these grave sins. It is used, and I give footnotes on it in the book, it's used to refer to those in the city who practice homosexuality and in pagan cultures, and in particular Canaanite cultures. What is Canaanite? So the Holy Land where the Jews were given by God, before they came in there, it was belonged to a people called the Canaanites. And the Canaanites were demonic. They worshipped idols. They were possessed. They did infant sacrifice. And they also did ceremonial temple homosexuality. And those that were basically the priests in the homosexual acts, they were called the dogs. That's their title. Like, what up, dog? Back then, you didn't want to be like the what up dog. Like, what's up, dog? No. So that's another reference in Apocalypse chapter 2 of homosexuality. And I'll read it again for you now that you know the context. It says, outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, unchaste, murderers, servers of idols, and everyone that loveth and maketh a lie. Those are the people who don't get into heaven. Now you may say, hey, Dr. Marshall, I've committed these sins. I can't get into heaven? We've all committed grave sins. I've committed grave sins. But Jesus loves us. Even if you've committed sins after you've been baptized, Jesus instituted another sacrament, the sacrament of penance, confession, where you confess your sins to the priest in repentance. You have to actually be sorrowful for your sins and you receive divine absolution at the decree of the priest. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. If you've committed any of these sins, whether it's related to homosexuality, masturbation, fornication, concubinage, uh, adultery, mutilation, uh, stealing, murder, abortion, contraception, list them all. All of those sins can be forgiven by Jesus Christ in baptism. And if you've already been baptized and you've 
broken your baptismal innocence, you can go to the tribunal of confession and the sacrament of penance and be purified, forgiven, absolved, made whole by Jesus Christ in that moment. But you have to will it. You have to do it. You can't stay home watching YouTube all day. You got to go find a priest and confess your sins and make things right. Amen and amen. Good. So in conclusion, the Germans don't know what they're doing. You can't vote and change what Jesus says or what Paul said or John said. No, you can't make the words go away from the New Testament. You know, if there's a sin of males in bed or a term in the Greek which refers to men cross-dressing, cutting off their... Yeah. Being the passive partner in an act... Paul says that doesn't get you in heaven. So does, if you're getting drunk right now, you need to go confess that. Because it's, Paul says, you can't get into heaven if you're a drunkard. Getting high all the time, you got to go confess it. It's not God's plan for you. All right, well, let's pray for the Germans. Poor Germans. Germans are always messing. I had a, a seminary professor who said, if you ever caught the devil and you looked at the bottom of his boot, it would say, made in Germany. So much bad stuff, for some reason, comes out of Germany. Why? Corruptio optimi pessima. Corruption of the best is the worst. All right, so we're going to pray for these misled people in Germania, in Latina. We'll pray the Hail Mary. And today, by the way, is the in the traditional calendar, I don't know what it is in the Novus Ordo, the feast day of the holy name of Mary. The name Mary... Miriam, in its Egyptian root, it means beloved, loved. In its, its, its biliteral root, MR, we would call it. In Hebrew, Miriam is related to bitterness. So both meanings are proper. Mary is the most beloved in all creation. She's beloved by Jesus, by the Father and the Holy Ghost. But then bitterness, she also experienced more than any human person the bitterness in this life because her son was innocent, divine and perfect and suffered so much and she suffered with him. The Greek word sympathize, sim with, path, suffer, to suffer with. She sympathized with Jesus. She suffered with him at the foot of the cross. All right, let's go to her and ask her to pray for all those who are confused and misled, especially the bishops. Oremos. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or per nobis peccatoribus, nunc eritor mortis nostre. Amen. Our Lady of Fair Love, pray for us. Nomine Patris, et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Hey, this has been a great show. Thanks for watching. If you haven't given the thumbs up yet and done the like, why not? Let's just do it. Hit the thumbs up, like the show, now, next phase two is you got to share this on Facebook and Twitter. Hit the share button beneath the video. And then if you're new, you know you like this. Go ahead and subscribe. Get more. Hit the subscription button in the bottom right corner. Hit the bell to be notified. Um, that's that. Oh, if you want to support this show, 
and support the content and enable me to do this all the time, go to patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall. You can make a one-time or regular Patreon donation. And there's different levels in there, and I will send you signed books and merch and online courses and all that. Go to patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall. And if you want a sneak peek of my new book, Antichrist and Apocalypse, I've uploaded the first three chapters on patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall. So all the Patreon patrons right now can get started before the book even comes out and read the first three chapters of Antichrist and Apocalypse. Again, that's just for Patreon Patreons, Patreon Patrons. So go to patreon.com forward slash D.R. Taylor Marshall. And remember to always pray the rosary every day. Pray the rosary every day. The rosary is Bible on beads. And the rosary is your anchor through the clouds into heaven, binding you to Jesus Christ. Pray the rosary every day you're not on the team, find a traditional Latin Mass, go to confession, all of us, I need to go to confession, I'm overdue, go to confession every two to four weeks, blessed be God, read the Bible every day, I recommend three chapters every single morning, dads pray the rosary for kids, catechize them with good catechisms, and remember our Lord Jesus Christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless and Godspeed.